0: Open your Bibles up, 1 John chapter four. We're working our way through the Lenten season and we are approaching our Easter Passion Week through this lens. We're talking about a journey into life and we're letting John's letter to kind of guide and direct our steps. And last Sunday we were in 1 John three and we talked about the significance of what Jesus communicated about the way we can relate to God the Father. And he introduced a term for us that John picked up on and applied in 1 John chapter 3 when he says, actually, Jesus made it possible that we can refer to God as our Abba father, our papa, our daddy. And we talked about the significance that that brings to our identity, our destiny, and our purity of what it means to live as Abba's child. So this week, we're going to pick up on it in 1 John 4, and Eugene Peterson wrote a great commentary on the book of 1 John, and here's a paragraph from kind of his introductory words in the message. Peterson says this, the two most difficult things to get straight in life are love and God. More often than not, the mess people make of their lives can be traced to failure or stupidity or meanness in one or both of these areas. The basic and biblical Christian conviction is that the two subjects are intricately related. If we want to deal with God the right way, we have to learn to love the right way. If we want to love the right way, we have to deal with God the right way. God and love can't be separated. So A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about us is what we think about God. So when the subject of God is raised, the thoughts that run around the hallways of your mind at that moment, Tozer says, the single most important thing about us as a human being. It's the one thing that's gonna matter 100 years from now are the thoughts that run around in our mind when the subject of God comes up. And for John, in 1 John chapter 4, When the subject of God comes up, he's got one primary word that's running through his mind. The hallways are trafficked with this word, L-O-V-E, love. He says, if you want to understand God, you just need to understand love. And if you understand love, you understand God. The two subjects cannot be separated. They are one in the same. John is saying all the commandments, all the sermons, all the prayers, all the precepts can be boiled down to this. Love. So let's look at it, chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Here's what he says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Maybe you want to try to underline the number of loves he uses here. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice. For our sins. Notice twice he says there God sent his son. Notice it didn't say the father created the son because the son has always been. That's why the Bible declares the son was sent. There's never a time when Jesus wasn't. Therefore, the father didn't have to make the son. The father sent the son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He sent a son. And then verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 13 times in those six verses, John uses the word love. You think he's trying to make a point here? Here's what John is saying. John's saying, hey, God is love, verse eight. God set his love on us through his son, verse nine. He sent his son to bridge the gap. He said, I got to deal with the sin issue because it's sin that fractured this love relationship. So God is love. God set his love on us, verse 9. And then from the fountain of that unbelievable love, we should then love one another, verse 11 and 12. So you get this idea that if your heart has been captured, like we talked about last week, when your heart is awakened to this power of a a competing and overwhelming affection, when there's been a deeply entrenched affection, it's been awakened, and you've been struck with the disease of Jesus from which you can't be cured. When that happens, the overflow of that life will be a love towards the people around us. And he just can't keep From talking about it, look at verse 16. He keeps going in this stream. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. One writer called this chapter of John, he said it's John's way of displaying magnificent monotony. Some of you feel that way about my sermons week after week, perhaps. Maybe not magnificent, but maybe monotony. But so, here's John's way, right? John just keeps saying the same thing over and over, which if you read John's letter... You have moments through the letter where you go, John, didn't we just cover that? God is love. God set his love on us. We ought to love one another. Didn't he just say that? did he just kind of recap that in chapter one and chapter two and chapter three? Yes, and in chapter four. That's why his letter is much more like a kind of a cyclical sermon that keeps camping around these points. God is love. God set his love on us in Jesus and out of the overflow of that fountain of love, we have to love one another. A magnificent monotony flows out of John's life and it's all camped out under what I've entitled today, a furious love. Now when you think of furious, don't think of anger, think of power. Think of furious as a relentless and powerful love that you cannot escape. And what I want to talk about this morning is from this text, three realities. If you will settle down into the furious love of the Father, here are three things that will happen in our lives if we do that. The first one I just read out of verse 18 is it will loosen the grip of fear in our lives. Did you see that in verse 18? There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out Fear. You say, how does that happen? How does perfect love drive out fear? Well, it starts with a a clear vision and accurate understanding of who God is. Do you see how fear just kind of takes over our lives if we have a vision for a God that is kind of angry and sitting on his throne with a really large stick and waiting for us to screw up and ready to take the swing of punishment when he gets a chance? If your vision of God is someone who's just kind of angry and punishment driven and just waiting for us to mess up, then the byproduct of that kind of a vision of God is you're going to live with a tremendous amount of insecurity and fear. You're going to live. Of waiting for the shoe to drop in life. Anybody been there? Where you're just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop because you're just convinced God's got to kind of in on or out for you because maybe there's some things in your life you know where God wants them to be. So God's gonna like, you know, let the shoes drop here. And so you live with this kind of massive insecurity and there's no freedom in that kind of life. There's no sense of freedom. There's no sense of peace in the midst of life storms when you're living with that kind of a fear-driven base with a view of God. There's no sense of real kind of a security that God has you in the palm of his hands. It's the opposite of living as Abba's child. And perhaps some of what happens to us in this life is if we grew up with an earthly father that kind of displayed some of those characteristics, more of a fear-driven, punishment-based vision of an earthly father, part of the journey into the family of Jesus is kind of unlearning and healing from some of those visions of a father and letting the vision of the kind of father Jesus communicates help shape it. Because the kind of father Jesus reveals to us is not that kind of a father. The kind of father Jesus reveals to us is what it means to live as Abba's child. The kind of father Jesus reveals in Luke 15 is the kind of father that when the prodigal son takes a turn and starts coming home, the father hikes up the robe and sprints towards him the one who was rebelling, the one who was wandering, the one who was kind of desecrating the family name, the kind of father Jesus reveals says, hey, he turns and sprints towards you the moment you turn and make any kind of move towards him. So you take one, you turn your face towards the father. Here's what you're gonna know about the kind of God Jesus reveals. His face has always been turned towards you in love. That's the kind of father Jesus reveals. And that kind of father, it just starts loosening the grip of fear. Because when you go down the fear road, the net effect of that is you live with a massive amount of insecurity, kind of a victim mentality, so you live perpetually a victim and filled with insecurity. Or you go the other side and you kind of become a domineering control freak because you're going to try to control everything to demonstrate that you've got this and you don't need this kind of angry God to intervene in your life. Those are one of two extremes when you go down living from a base of fear. But John said, here's another way you can go. Perfect love drives out that kind of life. It drives out that kind of victim insecurity. It drives out that kind of domineering control freak. And you begin to settle into what? You begin to settle in living as Abba's child. That your father is a good, good father. And he always has your best in mind. You may not always be able to figure out what he's doing. Because God really, he loves to surprise us and he wants to make sure we understand that we don't have our lives nearly in control as we think we do. And so God is often leading us into space filled with lots of uncertainty. You know, the relationship with God the Father is going to go a lot better the sooner we can come to grips with this. We need to become increasingly comfortable living in the space of uncertainty for large sections of our life. Isn't that an encouraging word? But the relationship's gonna go better. If you're trying to manage your life to remove all the uncertainty around it, you may be trying to work against the very Spirit of God doing in your life. Because where do the roots of faith really grow down deep? Not when everything's running easy street and you got it all figured out and you got the three-point plan and the five-point this and you know the map and you're following the map. That's not... Roots of faith don't grow down deep there. They grow down deep when? When you don't see what's around the bend. You can't figure out how you're going to get through what you're going through. When you're kind of brought to the end of yourself, all that uncertainty brings what? A dependence on God and a deepening of those roots of trust. So you see, if you're trying to like control freak your life around removing all the uncertainty, just know this. God's always going to win, by the way, if you try to Fight against him. Have you noticed he's really good at getting the last word? It might take a little while. We might bang our head against a brick wall a few times, but eventually we're going to get to this place and take a deep breath and begin to embrace this space of uncertainty, which is the soil upon which the roots of faith are going to grow down deep. And you begin to settle into the love of a really, really good father who's always got our best in mind. And the freedom that comes with that to know that whatever it is we're going through, God is at work with our best in mind. And so then we can be freed from living with uncertainty about what's gonna be the outcome of it. Here's what you know, God is with me and that's enough. He's with me, he will take care for me. He's a faithful God, he is a good God. He's in control. In the midst of all the stuff you know that you're not in control and what feels so out of control, here's what you can rest in. God is sovereign, he is good, he is gracious, he is wise, he's really, really competent at guiding our lives, way better at it than we are. And you can settle down into that kind of a love and it gives you a freedom in the midst of deepest valleys and darkest days. So do you see there's a loosening of the grip of fear when you settle down into the furious love of the Father? Secondly, it's going to change the way we relate to people. If you settle down in the furious love of the Father, it's going to change how you relate to the people around you. I mean, John's just a one-note Johnny with this issue. He just cops love one another, love one another. It's always going to be about the one another's with John. So the person who says to you, they're all in with Jesus, and yet most or all the relationships in their lives are all out of control and a mess and they can't figure out how to love people well, something's off the rails in the heart because you can be having all kinds of great morning devotional times and marking up your Bible and going to prayer meetings and coming to church and if it's not manifesting itself and actually becoming a more loving person with the people around you, something is off the rails in here because it's possible. To hang out around church for decades and not become a more loving person. All you have to do is hang out around church and you'll bump into some people like that. And you're like, what happened to that person? Where'd that go? And John would say, hey, look, here's the deal. They're not settling down in being an object of the furious love of the Father because the manifestation of settling into this powerful and relentless love is Not perfectly, but you will become an increasingly loving person. You cannot separate the two. And all John is doing is repeating with magnificent monotony what he heard Jesus say. You remember the discussion with Jesus? The religious leaders came to Jesus on this very topic. Say, hey, Jesus, 613 laws and commandments in the Old Testament. They had their big stack of books. Hey, Jesus, pick your favorite. Pick the best of the best of the 613. Here's what he said. Matthew 22, Jesus replied to him, love, notice the first word he used, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do you see that? So John is simply repeating what he saw and heard from Jesus. Jesus was running around talking, hey, it all boils down to this. You can have all the commandments memorized. You can have the flowing prayer robes. You can lead all the seminars. You can go to all the church services you want to. But if you're not growing in the furious love of the Father, if you're not grounding yourself there and having that spillover in love for the people around you, something is off the rails in here. And by the way, the very ones he was teaching about are the ones he was calling out on it because they had 613 laws memorized, but they weren't an incredibly loving group of people around them. So he called them out and said, hey, you're missing the number one on top of the stack. L-O-V-E. God is love. He set his love on us in Jesus. And out of the overflow of that love, you gotta love others. And if you're not in that stream, that's 101. That's baseline. And do you see, gang, do you see how if we can just ground ourselves in this, do you see the freedom this brings from the treadmill of people pleasing? Do you know how you get off the people pleasing treadmill? Settle into the furious love of the Father. The way you just, it's exhausting to try to live to gain everyone's approval around you. And the sooner you can grasp this, that you live for an audience of one. And you live to hear this at the end of every day, well done, good and faithful servant. You're my child. Live as Abba's child. I love you. I've set my love upon you. I have filled you with my spirit. I'm guiding your life. I'm well pleased with you. Settle into that kind of a love. And that just kind of loosens the grip of all this need to gain everyone else's approval of your life. The sooner you figure out you're never going to get everyone's approval of your life, the better off you're going to be on this. Get off that treadmill and live on this treadmill, the approval of the Father who set his love upon you. Get on that treadmill. And then you'll just begin to release, and you can love people freely for who they are, even the ones that irritate the daylights out of you. You can just love them for who they are. And even the person who's really upset at you, you know, Jesus actually expects us to love the person who's upset with us. I kind of borderline and just tolerate them. And Jesus is like, hey, Simpson, you need to go beyond tolerate and beyond pretending, you actually need to love them. That's really hard. But you know what helps you do that is you get up each morning and you ground yourself as Abba's child, as an object of the furious, relentless, and powerful love of the Father. And then you can just begin, right? You begin to see the others in your life through that lens as he sees you in Jesus. The other thing it does, do you you see how these things, like so practical, how just grounding yourself in it. Do you see how, like if you ground yourself in this love, follow me here. It takes the pressure off of what we place on human relationships to be for us what they can never be. Some of you are looking to a circle of friends around you to be for you what only Jesus can be for you. Do you see the pressure it takes off of this? If you're trying to extract out of a friendship or a circle of friendships some kind of healing for what's broken in your life, do you realize you're setting up those relationships for a massive amount of pressure because they're never going to be able to come through for you to the degrees that you're expecting them to come through for you, and you're going to live with piles of disappointment in that relationship. How do you get free from all that? You settle into the furious love of the Father. And guess what? You let your friends be what God intended them to be for you, your friends. Let them be sacred companions with you on your journey. Same thing holds true in a marriage. Some of us in marriage circles, you're putting so much pressure on your spouse to come through for you in ways that only the Messiah can come through for you. Your spouse cannot be your Messiah. They can't be your healer. They can't be your fixer. They can't be your redeemer. They can't be that. Your spouse can only be, shocker, Pastor Obvious here, your spouse. That's all they can be. And this shows up for me when I ask couples to write their marriage vows and submit them to me in preparation for the ceremony. It's not an encouragement to me when one of the members of the future bridal party says, hey, oh, he's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my redeemer. He's my refuge. I'm like, oh, this is a train wreck right here. Disaster. I'll tell you one thing. I can tell you four or five things he's absolutely not. Give him just a few days after the honeymoon and he's far from being your rock and far from being your refuge and will disappoint you and will let you down. And so we have to have a discussion. We have to have a discussion about what? Releasing the pressure off of human relationships to be for us what only Jesus can be. Do you see the freedom that comes in that? There's so much freedom. Some of you in life groups, you're trying to extract out of your life groups what only Jesus can be for you. Let your life groups be your group of sacred companions on the journey. Pray for you, support you, encourage you, and hopefully point you to the one who will always come through for you, who will heal, who will redeem, who will restore. Your spouse can't do that. Your child can't do that. Your boss can't do that. Your friends can't do that. Your roommate can't do that. Release the pressure off of all of that. And then you're free to what? Just live with great freedom as a person alive Settle down into the furious love of the Father. Are you tracking with me in that? That's so practical in this. John's letter saying, hey, this is the outflow of this kind of love. And the last thing I'll say on this point about relating to people, do you see how settling into this furious love gives you an increased capacity for a patient endurance with difficult and draining people around you? We all have people in our lives who are in the categories of more difficult than others, who are going through exceptionally hard times. And some, you have some relationships in your life that you would put in the category of they drain the life out of you. You know what you need a healthy dose? You gotta settle in to the furious love of the Father. Let him fuel up your patient endurance to be able to see into their lives and be able to walk with them with empathy and compassion and to recognize the only difference between you you and them as grace and to just stay with them and to stay in it. And so if you're struggling with what do I do with some of this overwhelming brokenness around me, it's, well, the first thing John would say is make sure you're building your life and settling into the furious love of the father. So John says, hey, when you settle into this love? It, cha- it loosens the grip of fear. It changes the way we relate to people. And then thirdly and lastly, it makes the invisible visible. Verse 12, did anybody stop on verse 12 when I was reading through it? any of you like just go, whoa, that's... I'm going to read verse 12 again out of chapter 4. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Did you follow that? That's amazing. No one has ever seen God, but... If we love one another, what I hear John saying is, do you see how when the people to people love one another happens the way he's talking about? It makes the invisible God visible to people around. This is what Paul's referring to in First Corinthians 12. He calls us as, as Christians the body of Christ on earth. And he's referring to that in the context of everyone kind of playing their role and being a member of the body. And when we're carrying out our role and function and we're loving and serving one another and his causes in this world, we're called the body of Christ. Way Jesus is seen active and present and involved on earth today. So this past week, one year ago, this past week, I felt like I had a front row seat to this as I often get to do all through the year. But it was a year ago this week that we lost a very loving member of this body. And many of you remember it well. Fred Whiteley passed away a year ago this week. And Sherry and Becca and Jana and Kyle, we've been praying, we'll continue to pray and walk with you, not only this week, all the weeks ahead. And this week I was taken back. Guys, I was taken back to a year ago. I pulled up to the memorial service in Lebanon, the funeral home there, And it was a couple hours before the service was going to start. And there were so many people there. I had to park in the movie theater parking lot, which is kind of an ironic thing. Like i park in the movie theater lot, and there were people parking around me. And there were some people going to the movie theater, and there were some of us going to the funeral home. Isn't that just, uh, it was just one of those moments I just stood there and just watched how different that afternoon was going to be. And then we walked up to the funeral home. And the line, do you remember, those of you there, do you remember how far the line was snaking out the door? This was two plus hours before the service was going to begin. And then as we snake our way inside, the, we're winding around every little hallway and nook and cranny of this funeral home itself. And there was just so much. And then there's the family with Sherry and the kids and all of them kind of up front in the area. And there were pictures and so many of you were there. And there was just so much tangible love being displayed during those hours. And I remember I sat down, I sat like, in this corner, kind of in the crevice beside this big plant, kind of shoved up, because that's all you could literally we had people in the hallways. And the person who sat right beside me was a FedEx employee. Fred worked at FedEx for a number of years. And the FedEx employee looked at me and he said, He's looking, he's pointing to so many of you who are standing here. He's just watching the whole scene. He says, This is amazing. You know what I heard right there? The invisible God being made visible right there by your tangible acts of love and care and compassion to a family that was grieving and hurting. And then there was tears of, like the old hymn, tears of sorrow and joy flow mingled down. We were crying in the midst of the sorrow because we had lost Fred and we were rejoicing for his destiny because he died in Jesus and all of that was bubbling up right there in that moment and the outside world looks upon that and that's where the love of God in Christ becomes visible and tangible and says, I see it. That's the difference of settling down into the furious love of the Father. It loosens the grip of fear. It changes the way you relate to people. And it helps make that which is invisible, visible. So I close with this question because if it all comes down to love, if God is love and he set his love on us in Jesus, and out of the overflow of that love we to love one another, God is love, and if you know love, you know God, and if you know God, you know love. If it all is L-O-V-E, then it seems to me this is a reasonable question of application for all of us this week. Would the people who know us the best, I want you to think about people in your life. The people who are with you when you have the stomach flu when you got four days worth of fever, when you're off work or in bed or you're sick or when you just lost your job or when you had the health crisis come up. The people in your life who were with you in all the seasons of your life. Are you with me? Not just the people in your life who get to see you when you're at your best. Not that group of people. I'm talking about the people of your life who get to see you in all. The mountaintop, the valley, and all the plateaus in between. Think of those some names coming to your head, some faces coming to your mind. With that group of people, if you were to call a gathering together and just say, hey, if you ask them this question, do you see me becoming a more loving person these days? The answer to that question, I believe the Apostle John would say, would help you determine if you found God. Because if the people who really know you and who spend the most time with you Can't honestly say, not perfectly, follow me here. I'm talking about a trajectory of the heart. I'm talking about from one year to the next. Do they see this manifestation of love, a Christ-like, other-centered, humble, compassionate, gracious, Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit kind of love? Do they see those things bubbling up from the core of your being? John would say, that's the question to help you figure out if you found God. Because if the answer is yes, (laughs) amen, hallelujah, you found him. If the answer is no, or a lot of hesitation and looking at the feet, then that'd be a good time to get to the prayer room and to get on your face before God and to say, Lord, some things are off the rails. Because at the end of the day, it all comes down to love. So this week in your... Lenten practices all through this month. We've been talking about kind of a practical, what are we gonna do this week with it? So that's your first question for the week that I want you and your Lent groups to text each other about. And maybe you can ask them. if they're the, Hopefully some of the people in your groups may in fact be those people. You can say, hey, assess the love factor in my life. You know, do you see me heading the right direction in this? Do you see a steady growth in love? That'd be the first question. The second question is this. I want you to reflect on the people in your life right now who are the most difficult for you to love. Is there a name coming to mind? If they're seated beside you, do not bump them right now. Someone in your life who you just, for whatever reason, they're just in the category of, man, this person's really, really hard for me to love right now. And here's the second question for the week is I want you to ask the Lord, what is God trying to show you about the things he wants to grow in you from the difficulty of that relationship? Because I believe the most difficult relationships in our life are often a mirror back into our own soul that God's trying to grow something and mature mature something or purify something in our own hearts. So instead of turning the tables always on what's going on in them, I want you to turn this week back and ask the Lord, hey, what are you trying to show me through the painfulness of that relationship? And then maybe in your text Lent groups, text each other on some of those takeaways from that. Okay? Because God is love. He set his love on us in Jesus. The outflow of that should be a loving one another. Let's pray. Thank you for John's magnificent monotony. Thank you that he won't let us go off of this point. Thank you that he keeps pressing it even to the point of just kind of that a wholly uncomfortable place. And I pray in the midst of everything that is said about our lives or about our community as Eagle, wouldn't it be a wonderful legacy, Lord? Would you do it by the power of your spirit? Would you allow Eagle Church to leave a legacy of love in this community in our city, in our state, around the world, that when people come into contact with the body of Christ at Eagle, that they'd walk away and say, my, what a loving group of people that is. And would you speak to our hearts and mature us in love? Help us to learn what it means to settle down into your powerful and relentless and furious love. In Jesus' name, amen.